May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning. We're ending, uh, we're nearing the end of the liturgical year. Now, uh, if you don't know what that means or you're new to this uh, tradition, uh, our year sort of tells the Christian story, and we start with Advent uh, in a couple of weeks. We'll anticipate Christmas, and we kind of go through that and go all year round. But as we near the end of this liturgical year, uh, you can understand that we are uh, nearing the time where we are talking about uh, the second coming of Christ. Uh, we are uh, nearing the end of the story that this calendar tells. And so uh, we may not think too often about the end times. Episcopalians sometimes think that's a conversation for another denomination. Uh, but the Bible's clear uh, time is linear. And so there was a beginning, and there will be an end. And so, you know, the Bible usually calls this end the day of the Lord. And like, like every story, the ending is important. And so the end is important for the Christian story because ultimately that's a part of our story, right? The, uh, the Bible is, is telling us that the end, of, the end of all things is important for our story. We don't know exactly when that's going to be. I'm not a rapture guy. Uh, but we, we don't know how it's, what it's going to look like. But there's an end coming. Jesus Christ will return. I read about a high school football team in Louisiana uh, that was playing an important game uh, shortly after Hurricane Katrina. Now, uh, it was an important game, like I said, and the stands were full. There was the usual buzz in the air before the game uh, prior to kickoff. But as the game went on, no one was really paying attention. Uh, there was just the hum of casual conversation in the stands rather than the usual cheers. The, um, even the players seemed kind of half-hearted about it. And what was the problem? During the storm, the scoreboard had been blown down. And so, consequently, none of the plays really felt connected to an end result. No one knew what the score was. No one knew how much time was left. And so the players and the fans just kind of got lazy about it. And only the coaches on the sidelines were screaming at the players, there's a game going on here! We actually have passages like this one that we have from 1 Thessalonians to remind us there's a game going on here. And so we don't know when the end is, and we don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but knowing that an end is coming affects how we play the game, doesn't it? So a lot of us do wonder about heaven, what's going to happen after we die, what is, going to, what is it going to look like? I don't hear a lot of folks worrying too much about standing before the judgment of God, right? Answering questions like, have you been holy as he is holy? Have you been perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect? And whether we think it about it often or not, all of us are going to face those questions one day. All of us are going to stand before the judgment seat of God. There is an end coming, and there's a game going on. So what are we to do about that? Well, St. Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians three things for the game that's going on. Number one, 
Remember the team you're on. Number two, think clearly about the plays. And number three, wear the right uniform. So, remember the team you're on. Think clearly about the plays. Wear the right uniform. Number one, remember the team you're on. Paul says, we belong to the day. And this is, this is really the line, as I've been thinking about this sermon and pondering these scriptures, this is the line that has been coming back to me over and over again. We belong to the day. And when you heard it read just a moment ago, you, your mind probably meant, uh, went immediately, just like mine did, to Pat Benatar's 1984 rock ballad, We Belong, right? We belong. So um, it sounds just like that. And uh, she said, we belong to the light. And, and, you know, with even more passion than Pat Benatar, Paul is saying that this is what is already true about us. We belong to the day. We belong to the light. This is the work of God in us, in Jesus Christ, on our behalf. We belong to the day. We are, he says, we are children of the light. We are children of the day. There's a game going on here, and you need to remember what team you're on. We belong to the day. And and when there's night all around you, it can be hard to remember. I mean, when the night all around you is inviting, and it's appealing to your senses, it seems much stronger, more popular than the light, it can be uh, easy to question or forget that we belong to the day. When it challenges and taunts the truth of the light, it can be hard to remember that that is what is true about us. We belong to the day. This is a common contrast in Scripture, the contrast between light and darkness, night and day. And and in Scripture, darkness like this doesn't mean like horror film wickedness. It just simply means blindness to the mercy of God. If we are in darkness, we are unable to see His reality, unable to receive Uh, His grace. To be in darkness is to be alone in the cosmos. Uh, To be relying on yourself uh, to create meaning and purpose and worth, whether that be through your own accomplishments or or through some sense of inner peace or uh, sustained happiness, whatever it is, biblically speaking, to be in the darkness is to be unconnected and unsubmitted to the God of the Bible. And in contrast, to be in the light is to be connected to and submitted to the God of and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is our loving Creator. He is, he is our source of purpose and meaning and worth. We know that this connection happens for us not by our own initiative, but by His initiative. Right? Not by our efforts or our righteousness, but by His efforts and His righteousness. For our good and by His grace, we belong to the day. You're a, if you're a child of the light, by faith in Christ, you have trusted Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. As a child of the light, you have been reunited to God on His terms, not on your own. Right? What is true about you, Christian, is that you belong to the light. You are bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, and it is finished. And so if it's hard for you to see the scoreboard, remember what team you're on. We belong to the day. The second thing that Paul says when he's talking about 
it's hard to see the scoreboard, is, is to think clearly about the plays. St. Paul says, be sober. Be sober. Now, some of you think I'm about to switch from preaching to meddling, right? Um, my, my, uh, my mama used to tell me that nothing good happens after 9.30, honey. Um, but <laughs> Paul says, uh, be sober. Now, what, what he's, what's important is that this is not how you get onto the team. We, we belong to the day. We're already on the team by grace through faith, but consistently... Throughout his letters, Paul expects the same thing that Jesus expects in his teaching, and that is that God's amazing grace transforms us, that it works in us. As someone has said, we are saved by grace alone, but not by grace that leaves us alone. Right? God's grace works in us. It changes us. And Paul says, since we belong to the day, let us be sober. Now, I do think this, this can apply to excessive alcohol use. But I think it also goes much further than that. Because I think what Paul is saying is, put yourselves in a position always to think clearly about your faith. When I was uh, in high school, I played on the football team, and I went to practice every day, and we learned the plays. We rehearsed them. We went through them over and over again. We learned what to do if the defense lines this way or lines up that way. So that when we got to the game, we could think clearly about the plays. And it takes work, doesn't it? It takes making some mistakes in the Christian life. It takes repentance and forgiveness and grace. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober. Let us think clearly about the game that we're in. Let's read our Bibles. Let's go to church every week. Let's spend some time with other Christians. Let's serve those around us. And in doing so, let's train ourselves to ask ourselves when we're faced with tough choices, what does the grace of God have to say about the choice that is before me? What does the God who has forgiven me want me to do in this situation? What does Scripture say? What what gives God pleasure? What brings Him glory? Grace changes us. And there's a game going on here. So number one, remember the team you're on. And number two, think clearly about the place. And number three, wear the right uniform. Wear the right uniform. Paul says, put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Now you guys are going to leave here and you're going to go watch the Jaguars play the Browns, right? And so the way that you're going to know who's on what team running around there on the field is by their uniform, right? It's by the, they're marked by their colors. They're on display for everybody to see. Now, what makes them a Jaguar isn't the uniform. It's their contract, right? They've all signed a contract. They got a binding agreement. That's what has them on the team. But the way that team membership becomes evident to everyone during the game is by the uniform. It's the outward display. And for the Christian, God's grace is the contract, right? You belong to the day. There's a a binding agreement. It's been signed in the blood of Christ. But the Christian that Paul has in mind is so transformed by that grace that their faith and their hope and their radiant love are on display for all the world to see. Wear the right uniform. And think, you know, Paul hasn't just randomly selected 
uh, different pieces of armor to, to make a neat metaphor. He has chosen the pieces that the Christian needs most. The parts that cover your heart and your mind. In other words, let faith in God and the love of God shield your heart like a breastplate to protect you from the arrows of the enemy. And let the sure and certain hope of God's grace protect your mind from outside injury like a helmet. Biblical Christianity requires both the heart and the mind. Both the emotions and the intellect. And there's a game going on. And they need protection. Your heart and your mind. Not isolation. Just protection. The Christian heart is the place where we trust God. right? We trust God for the forgiveness of our sins. We trust God for His uh, sovereign hand upon our lives. We trust Him to walk with us, to give us strength and courage. It's from the heart that we trust in God the way that a rock climber trusts in the rope that they're hanging from. The heart is the place of trust. We belong to the day, but there's night all around us. The cultural narrative uh, tells us that love is actually a commodity that is based, uh, given to you based on your performance. Right? You're on your own unless you perform up to our standards. We will withhold uh, acceptance, approval, affirmation, love unless you perform. And I don't know if you've had, you had a, a parent that that in, your grades were, were dependent upon, their affirmation was dependent upon your grades or your performance in the athletic field. And, the, and you know what I'm talking about. And it creates this incredibly high anxiety. And you get performance anxiety in life. And, you, you, and the narrative says your happiness it depends on this, and your happiness is your own highest goal. Our hearts are easily duped by these narratives. And so we need to be constantly covered by returning to the love of God given to us in Jesus Christ and by strengthening our faith through recalling His faithfulness. Put on the breastplate of faith and love, Paul says. And the helmet, the Christian mind, that's the place of the will. It's the place where we uh, interpret the world around us. The place uh, where our, our actions are motivated. And isn't it interesting that Paul implores us to guard our minds not with knowledge, not even with wisdom, but with hope. <coughs> and specifically with hope in our salvation. The hope of heaven. There's a game going on, but there's going to be an end of the game. And Paul says that the game has already been won. Through the cross of Christ, heaven is sure for those whose faith is in Christ. We don't have to be afraid of those end-time questions about our holiness, about our perfection, because we belong to the day. We're wrapped up in Christ's holiness and His perfection. And we can say with confidence on that day, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to that cross I cling. Christian hope is not a wispy wish for some possibility like I hope the fish are biting today. I hope that Krispy Kreme has the hot donuts now sign on. Yeah? It's a good possibility, but it's not for sure. Christian hope is for sure. It's a certainty. Christian hope is built on the foundation 
of the truth of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. That's the helmet. That's the guard for our mind. It's the filter for how we understand the world around us. So there's a game going on. And whether we can see the scoreboard or not, whether the clock runs out in our lifetime or not, the end of the game matters. Jesus Christ is coming back. You know, even the parable that Father Trent read, the parable of the talents, it's not just about what you do with what you've been given, but what you do with what you've been given in the light of the fact that the Master is coming back. And so, remember the team that you're on. Think clearly about the place and wear the right uniform. Since we belong to the day, let us be sober and put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining the hope of salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen?